It's gone from bad to worse for the New York Yankees. They are just, let's face it, a bad baseball team right now. After taking two of three from the Twins, the Yankees pooped the bed in Philadelphia, losing both games to the Phillies. What in the world is going on? How hot is Aaron Boone's seat? Our special guest this week brings us back to happier Yankees times. It's quite possibly the most candid, entertaining interview in our podcast history. And that's not overstepping any bounds. It's 1998 World Series champion pitcher David Wells. So pour up a cold one and join us on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43. And at Jake Brown Radio, we are excited to chat later in the show with another one of Nelly's old Yankees teammates. It's Boomer, 1998 World Series champion David Wells. But before we have fun and reminisce on better days, I'm like at a loss for how how many times do we have to come on this podcast, Nelly, and talk about how bad this team is we talked in the beginning of the season it's so weird i was thinking about this this morning before the yankees got swept in their two-game series in philadelphia when we were talking about this team in spring training the strength was the lineup the weakness was the pitching it's been the opposite of that all season long the strength has been the pitching not lately but it has been for most of the year and the weakness all season long with spurts here and there has been the lineup you cannot continue to go on like this if you're Aaron Boone and this Yankee team, Nelly. I'm speechless. I don't want to say I got nothing. I got a lot. But I'm serious. Like, every time we start this, I'm asking you, what's wrong now? Well, what's wrong now, Jeff? This is Groundhog Day all over again. You know, you wake up at, what was it, uh, 6.30 in the morning that Bill Murray would wake up? Or was it 6 in the morning? They wake up and, and he'd look and say, oh, it's the same day. Yeah. It is. It's the same day, you know. Guess how many strikeouts in a two-game series that they had? Anyone? Euler? <laughs> 22. You know, it's it's a shame because, you know, I'm here with Ken Singleton and doing his charity event for cool kids. And, you know, it's really exciting for me because I'm, I grew up in Baltimore. And today I played with Don Stanhouse, Dennis Martinez, and Ken Singleton. And these guys I used to watch when I was young. And I did TV with Kenny, and then I played against Dennis his last few years when he was with Cleveland. And we all talk. I mean, I reminisce and all about the stories, but we all talk about pitching and the hitting nowadays. And we start talking, and Kenny and I obviously talking about the Yankees. And offensively, I mean, this team's not only a bad base running team. They're not a great fielding team. Offensively, they're awful. And then you go into a National League city, so obviously you don't have Stanton. And Stanton was going well. He started swinging a bat well in Minnesota. Minnesota, and then all of a sudden now he has to sit two days or actually four because you had Friday off, which never happens, which is really odd. You're going to have Monday off. So that's four days with only one at bat. 
So what is that going to look like when he goes back into Toronto? You can't put him in the field because you're afraid you're going to get hurt. And now you lose Judge. Uh, you can't put him in the lineup because he's got something going on. I don't know. It's like we said the last time on what Thursday, you almost have to wait and see until September and what kind of team this is going yeah, to be. But I don't think by September we might be thinking about 2022. Yeah, they're going to think about cruise ship uh, reservations instead of watching, instead of being in the playoffs. But here's my thing. First and foremost, I got to give you extra credit because right out the gate, you brought up two great movies. You brought up Groundhog Day and you brought up Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So extra credit for Jeff Nelson for starting this podcast in my language because I am fluent in movie lines. So all we really need to do is we need to get, does anyone have Andy McDowell's phone number? Because she got Bill Murray right. Maybe she could get this Yankees team right. Maybe that's the key. Maybe we need to get Andy McDowell, Nelly. Jake, do you have her number? Can we can we reach out to Andy McDowell? Let me hit up my sources and get, get the number. <laughs> On a serious note, they, they've lost 11 of their last 15 games. They've lost three straight. Chapman blew the save on Thursday. They have the off day Friday. Then they get swept in Philadelphia. And then, Jake, have this sound bite ready for me because I, we need to play this because you need to hear Aaron Boone's just utter disgust at not only the question but where his team is at right now. But after the Yankees got swept on Sunday in Philadelphia, Brian Hoke asked the question, here's the exchange. Uh, Ken kind of touched on what I was going to ask, but do you sense there's a fatigue in the dugout, maybe a complacency as these losses pile up where uh, guys are just almost getting used to losing here? No. Why not? I I, I know them too well, and and I don't think there's any getting used to freaking losing. Hell no. Get the hell out of here with that. You could see, you could hear in his voice. If you watch the clip, you could see it in his face. It's like, Nelly, he's saying the same thing after every terrible loss. You know, he knows the guys in that clubhouse, and so do we. And you brought up Judge. I want to stick up for Judge. I know he's been, he's had his issues with being healthy, but that guy wants to be, he really. Oh, no, no doubt. And when he is in the lineup, He's the only one that's actually doing something positive to get this team going. So I don't want to kick dirt on Judge because he's no. again like a, a normal Yankee fan would because, oh, that's all he does is get. Yeah, but when he's in the lineup, look at what he's doing. He's carrying the team. But the injuries have to stop. Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge have to be in this lineup. If they're not, this is the way this offense is going to look. And if you saw the lineup on Sunday in Philadelphia – if you're a Yankee fan looking at that lineup coming out, you're saying, uh, okay, are, are we punting and, and hoping to get the ball back soon? It looked like it was a give-up Sunday against Aaron Nola, no less, in Philadelphia, Jeff. The only thing is that you hope that Judge isn't out for a while. That's the only problem. And because then the fans have every right to say, here we go again. You know, I know Judge has been one of the most consistent Yankees, and I love when he's out there. I, I love the way he plays. I love the way he hits because he's like the old school guy. He goes the other way. He'll take his base hits. He's not afraid to, you know, if you're going to pitch him outside, you know, he'll go the other way. And he'll get his home runs at the same time, and he's a good defensive guy. Just his approach at the plate, too. You know, he, he was only seeing that first pitch that was the best pitch. So he started swinging at it, and I think I, I mentioned it in our last show. He was hitting like 529 on first pitch. So at least he's constantly working. I'm not saying no one else is. I don't know what goes on in the clubhouse, on the field, before the game. I'm not privy to all that stuff. All I'm privy to is what we see 
in all of these games. And it just looks like a team that's listless and lost. And they had that 17 and five stretch where they started to right the ship, but they're right back there. I, I think they're actually worse than they were when the season started, when we were sitting here scratching our heads, when they were five and 11 or whatever the hell they were, but it's just gone from bad to worse, Nelly. And I don't, I don't see it getting any better. Well, we are sitting here in the middle of June. And we talked about this in the middle of May about guys hitting under 200. You have Odor that is hitting third for this team on Sunday, and he's hitting under 200. You have Frazier. Again, I, you know, I, I like the way, I, you know, he gives 100% all the time. Great. He's still hitting 180, and we're in the middle of June. I'm sorry, for an mm-hmm. offense that continues to struggle, you cannot have guys like this hit this low at this time of year when Almost one through eight, one through nine guys are not hitting. Even LeMay, who is not hitting. He hit his, what, fourth home run uh, the other day? I would say, you know, listening to that, listening to that interview, the reporters see how the team goes. And, you know, Aaron Boone has a tough spot as, trying to, as far as trying to protect his players, take up for his players. Who knows when the reporters are not in there or not doing the Zoom interviews or seeing what they're seeing in the dugout. What happens? And is Boone that guy that can lift this team or light a, light a spark plug or do something to, you know, make this team be a lot better? But the reporters see what go, sees what goes on. It's there may be fortunate that the reporters have not been able to get into the get into the locker room because then we would even see even more about how that camaraderie, how that locker room is, uh, whether they do just going through the motions. And right now, there's a lot of times that you see the Yankees just going through the motions. We talked about this in the beginning of the year. Okay, they had a good stretch for a couple of weeks. Then we talked about it again. Then they had a couple of good games when they played Chicago and swept them and won two out of three against Houston, then all of a sudden we're talking about it again. So it's a roller coaster that you cannot afford to ride in this division because you have three teams ahead of you that are right now 10 times better than you. Right. And you've got one of those teams is Toronto and Toronto's been playing well and they're three and six against the Blue Jays this season. They've been their minus eight run differential against the Blue Jays this season. And then after that, they come back home for Oakland and Kansas City. And then a three-game set quick up in Boston before they come back home for the Angels and then the Mets. And I'm telling you right now, we have to talk about this because we were just talking about this just flying by the seat of our pants around the cubicles today. When does the seat of Aaron Boone start to get hot? And as you said, I don't think this is Aaron Boone's fault. But when a team is going like this, when it's scuttling nonstop, you always see a change. Now, are we going to see the change? Do you have a gut feeling that there will be a change? Maybe not Boone. Maybe it's Marcus Timms. We talked about that too. And listen, I don't want anybody to lose their job. I'm just talking about history. And history tells me what I've seen my entire life in my sports rooting in my entire life. When teams hit the wall like this, the chopping block comes out and it's not pretty. Jeff, do you think someone's going to be on the chopping block? Let's say they get swept in Buffalo by the Blue Jays. Are we talking about after that series, something goes down or is this just going to be eh, whatever? We're under 500. It'll come back. I know the guys in that clubhouse. I don't know how many times you can say that. No, I know. And it's 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 almost it's getting old hat. It's it's the same 
the same comments over and over again, the same answers over and over again. In some ways, you can't fault Aaron Boone because a lot of it's probably handed to him. I'm sure the computer spit out all this stuff and, okay, this is when you're supposed to hit these guys. This is the best time during this pitcher. These are the guys you're going to use. You would think, I mean, you look at the Mets. The Mets made a change when the hitting was bad and they fired Chili Davis and, and their assistant hitting coach. And, you know, they turned things around as men, as much as the players hated it. And as much as this probably wasn't Chili Davis, Davis's fault, I played with him and I think he's an, an amazing hitting coach and very, very smart baseball player. And there's nothing against Marcus Timms. But at the same time, sometimes you need a different voice or just a little change of scenery. And sometimes a change of scenery is putting a fire under these guys' asses and saying, hey, you know what? You guys are the ones that got the hitting coach fired. It wasn't the hitting coach in some ways. It's you guys are the ones that did this. So turn things around. Right. We were giving all the credit in the world last season to PJ and the season before to Marcus Timms and PJ Pilateri because this lineup was, you know, above and beyond where it should have been. And I'm talking about the younger guys, what they did with Glaber Torres, what they did uh, with other younger guys on this team and, and, and what they did with Aaron Hicks when he's in the lineup too. Let, let's not forget about Aaron Hicks. Brett Gardner, poor Brett Gardner. They always bring him back as a fourth outfielder. And right. Every, he's playing every day. Like every season, he's playing every day. And everybody gets on Gardner, but guess what? He is not supposed to be running out there. No, every what is day. he, 36, 38 years old? 37. He's 37 years of age, and he's yeah. running out there every day. He shouldn't be doing that. He's a fourth outfielder for crying out loud. And then you, you have to read the vitriol on the cesspool that is Twitter about Brett Gardner. But what these idiots don't understand is that he shouldn't be out there every day. And I know they'll probably say, well, he is out there every day. He's got to produce pump the brakes a little bit okay this team is not in a good spot right now your outfield should be in a perfect world john carlos stanton in left aaron hicks in center and aaron judge in right and right now what do you got you got miguel andujar brett gardner and clint frazier and i'm sorry i know andujar's hitting the ball well that's not going to get it done. It's just no, he, he's not. He's not an everyday outfielder. No, defensive wise, no. But the thing of it is, is you can't put Stanton in the outfield because he's what? Well, how long is he going to last? So you can't give him a glove and say, "Hey, go out there and we can use the DH." No. Oh my God, you're tied into this guy until 2029 for crying out loud! You're telling me I know. Me I know. 2029, well, not going to be able to play the field. Okay, then you have you have a bad bad trade there. You have That's Aaron Hicks that can't say. stay on the That's field. That's all I wanted you to say. You have a bad trade. You have Aaron Hicks that can't stay on the field. That's a bad signing. You sign this guy to a huge deal, and he's never proved. I, he probably is the greatest guy ever, and I have no problem with that. But when you're talking about contracts, he's never really proved in order to get that contract. You have Luis Severino that ever since you signed him to a contract hasn't even seen a major league field. And now he's hurt. He's and now he's hurt again because he's got a banged up ankle and who knows how long he's going oh, to be out. It's his groin. It's his groin. He's oh, it's his groin. So for an MRI on his groin. So oh, okay. I don't understand like how these guys, you know, they, they fire the, the performance team. They bring in a new performance guy. And again, I don't want to, I don't want Eric Cressy to lose his job, but in the damn gas station, they make such a big deal out of all these little nuanced things that analytics brings you. And what are you on the field? You're a team right now that's a game over 500. A game. <laughs> How do you feel? Jesus Christ. Sharon's wife could cook eggs on his head right now because he is just <laughs> boiling. A game over 500. Yeah. You got a payroll that's 200. June 13th. June 13th. You're, what do you have? Two and a half months? 
July, August, three and a half months of the season left. Fair, fair. But I, I bring it back around to your tremendous point that you make every single podcast. Oh, I'm not saying, you know, oh, it's early. The early is oh, gone. No, 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 no. I'm giving you credit. Guys in June that are hitting under 200 would not be sniffing the major leagues. They wouldn't be up here. And yet they're in the lineup every goddamn game. That's the issue with this team. And you know what? Boone said it before the game today. He said, because somebody asked him about the pitching and the lineup. You know, the pitching was supposed to be the part that the lineup was going to have to correct for. But you know what? It's been the opposite. The pitching has been carrying this team. And the only reason that they are over 500 right now is the goddamn pitching staff. That's the only reason. Yeah, and then and then all of a sudden now you're going to have – you know, Tyone is, is a fifth starter and he's not done well. You know, whether you give him a pass about not pitching in a couple of years and feeling his way through things. And, you know, Herman has been decent. He's been pretty good. And he had he had a bad game today. Uh, the bullpen has been really good. The You know, you're getting starters that are going deep in the game, um, but you're really putting a lot of eggs in the baskets of, of some of the younger. Like a Cole has to go out there every fifth day and he has to be there. I know you sign him that way, but sometimes it's not going to work out. And when he loses, and it's just like Chapman, Chapman's almost a guarantee in the ninth inning. But when he loses, how much does that, how worse does that even feel? You're like, oh my, this is supposed to be our guarantees and we can't even win those games sometimes. So it's really, it's it's tough. I mean, because you have three teams ahead of you that will have payroll space or cap, whatever, cap space, luxury space or whatever, that will add. You know, the blue, the Rays usually don't add anyone. I mean, they just try to go in what with what they have. But the Red Sox will add and the Blue Jays will add. What will the Yankees add? Because now you're talking the middle of middle of June and we made a move for David Justice in June and probably our MVP. Who do they add? Who do they add? We're already hearing, Jeff. I mean, Cattell Marte has been mentioned, but the Diamondbacks have to eat salary. They want a whole boatload of, of, of guys. And there's other teams that have more that they'll, they'll be willing to give up, and, and, and they're not going to have the Diamondbacks eat the salary. So if that's the case, if the Yankees are pigeoning, listen, they're not pigeonholed. They have a ridiculous payroll. That, that's not what I'm saying. And now, you know, we talk to Jake all the time about a negative run differential and how you're not going to make the playoffs with a negative run differential. Well, guess what? The Yankees are there now. They're a negative seven. They were even going into today, and they lost 7 nothing. So now they're a negative 7. They're eight and a half games behind the Rays. Now look, I'm not going to say it's early, but we did see this franchise come back from a 14-game deficit in 1978. And they do have the horses, but when the horses are in the stable and they're not on the field, this is not going to turn around. You can't beat your chest and say, no, we're going to be fine. They're going to turn it around. So in 1978, did they have three teams ahead of them that it might be better than them? Uh, no, they had the Red Sox ahead of them. And that was it. They yeah. all they have three teams that are better than them, and that will make moves to better their team. You're right. You're absolutely right. And that's that. therein lies the problem. And it's not going to get any better. And Dan Martin of the Post said this, Nelly. Their next game is Tuesday against the Blue Jays in Buffalo, a fitting setting for a team that's playing as if it belongs in the minors. Boom. Rose. Ouch. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to hit up the ad sales team because we're going to need an alcohol sponsor at this rate. I mean, we're going to need – what drinks do you guys want? Do you, would you rather a whiskey, a, a beer? Nelly's, Miller Light. Melly's a Miller Light guy. All right, beer guy. Shearney, I feel like you're you know, a whiskey guy. This is a Bud Light I'm drinking. Bourbon. <laughs> you're a bourbon. All right, so we're going to get a bourbon and a beer sponsor because you might have to drink through these episodes if uh, – oh. 
Well, not in the morning. We're taping in the morning. We're taping this one at night. That's yeah. fine. If you catch me drinking at eight o'clock in the morning, I have other problems. Yeah, we'll call a doctor. <laughs> if that happens, we'll call a doctor. Well, you can scramble the eggs on your bald head and, and have a glass of bourbon. Uh, so. Listen, I'm sorry. I, I, I cursed and I'm, I'm making you and Brian actually have to edit this and chop it up. It's so frustrating because you know how talented the team is and should be. And it's just so frustrating to see day in, day out, night in, night out the same result. And you know what? I want to go back to Brian Hoke's question. I don't, I think it was a valid question and good for Brian for asking it and good for him for not just laying out and following up when Aaron Boone gave him a one word answer of no. I mean, this is the New York Yankees. And as Nelly and I said, I completely don't think it's Boone's fault. It's the lineup. It's the injuries. It's the pitching now that is not pitching the way they were at the beginning of the season. And my goodness, we, we need to wash this off, Jeff. We, we need to. Well, how about speaking of drinking, Shearney? You talked to a guy who drank a lot and then threw a perfect game. How about we do that? Yeah, let's do that. Let's have some fun. Let's reminisce. Uh, let's go back <laughs> to some happier Yankee days. Happier times? Yes, the 1998 World Series champion and fan favorite, David Wells. The guy wore Babe Ruth's hat on the mound. He joins us. We're going to ask him about that in yeah. Texas, yes. Right here on the Pinstripe Pod. Joining us now, 1998 Yankees World Series champion, David Boomer Wells. He's a two-time world champion with the Blue Jays and Yanks. Three-time All-Star, pitched four season with the Bombers. 239 career wins. You can follow him on Twitter, at BoomerWells33. I want to start with your perfect game, though. A couple things here, Boomer. First and foremost, I'm in my office at the Yes Network as we tape this. And on my wall hanging there is you uh, in a big-ass poster with your hat up in the air being carried off the field by Straw, Tim Raines, and the rest of the Yankees there. That was my ex-fiance's first ever baseball game. That, that was her first baseball game was your perfect game. And I've heard David Cohn's version of this. We need to hear your story, how this all came about from the night before through that game, uh, the perfect game. No, I just, I, I went to dinner with my uh, son and uh, my dad because my dad brought my son in for a visitation. And we went to Anthony's right a couple doors down from Dorian's where our, our hangout was. Yeah. And then, yeah, many nights there. And then <laughs> I just told him, I'm, I'm going I'm to go to Saturday Night Live. And I, I was just going to the show. And then I wasn't going to go to the after party. And Marcy Klein kept telling me, you know, you always go. I said, not tonight. I'm, I got to pitch tomorrow. She goes, you know, Dennis Rodman had his best game ever after SNL after party. I go, well, I'm not Dennis Rodman. She called me a pussy. And I was like, oh, okay, there you go. That's all I took. So I ended up going, and one thing led to another. And about 5.30 in the morning, I come strolling in, just, just snookered. So I only got a couple hours of sleep, and then my son woke me up, and I, I cooked breakfast for him and put him in a cab, and they had to come back to Florida. I had to bring him back to his mom, and I went to the park. I was a wreck. I was, I mean, I was a wreck. Tony told me to go. He goes, you need to go in Rohan's office and stay away from everybody. You stink. <laughs> so, so I just started chewing gum and drinking a lot of water and coffee and about 10 trips to the bathroom. <laughs> My stomach was boiling over pretty good. So I don't know, about 11, about 1130, I had a, uh, I had a pancake in there from the spread and it had a, you know, I felt a little bit better, but I was, I was still a wreck. And then just, I went out there and, you know, 
that crap happened. I, I, I don't even know because my bullpen was so bad. I mean, I, I threw 39-foot curveballs, couldn't throw a strike. I threw two balls out of the out of the stadium over onto the L, or at least tried to get them onto the L right there, the train track. And, and, Me- and Mel Stoudemire is going, Boomer, you're doing all right. You're doing good. And I turn around, look at him, I go, don't patronize me, dude. <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a freaking bullpen of my life and i'm like i'm like i shouldn't have said that i'm not helping my cause and so i cut my bullpen short and i just i walked in i said i had enough of this it's just either gonna be a short outing or whatever but i knew if i had a short outing i would have gotten a lot of trouble because you know they i mean a lot of people knew i was pretty hammered so i just did but you know who knows that was gonna happen and it was i mean i was just like wow but after like the fourth inning i walked into the clubhouse to get a water and i heard michael k saying boomer wells got a perfect game and i ran out of that room so quick and i got went back down into the dugout and then i don't know it was like the fifth or about the sixth or seventh inning i go i think i went over and sat by brocious or artino and they got up and walked away (laughs) he wouldn't sit by me and nobody would talk to me it was like unbelievable i was low man on the totem pole there and then Coney started chirping at me around the eighth inning. He's like, he told me to throw a knuckleball. I'm like, I don't throw a knuckleball. He goes, yeah, you do. We play catch with it all the time. He goes, break it out. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to throw a knuckleball. And then I, I went out, I think, for the eighth. I come in, and he's, he's, showing, he's, he's showing, you know how Coney gets when he starts getting all riled up. That vein in his forehead pops out. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. He shows, yeah, so he started calling me a pussy. He's showing me nothing. He's showing me nothing. And I'm like, what, dude, what are you doing? And but I then uh, then I realized I mean he's just trying to calm me down he's just trying to get my mind off of what's going on you know veteran move he's a veteran guy he knows what's going on and uh, yeah and then that that happened and so you know as soon as the last out was there I'm looking for Jorge and he's all the way down the line he's following the runner you know in case you know Paul has to throw a ball in or whatever what catchers do and then here comes Soho I'm like get off me dude where's where's Jorge I was looking for Jorge for this. <laughs> And then, you know, all the guys, Nelly and, and Graham and all the guys, those are running in from the bullpen. And then Straw's like, let's carry him off. And then they all picked me off and, and uh, picked me up and carried me off. And I just got a burst of energy. And I took my hat. And I'm like, yeah. I, and I, I know Bernie started laughing <laughs> when I did that. He just started. I remember him cracking up. And then I was just like, wow, but it was pretty cool, man. It was a special moment. You know, not, not because you're on here. We played together for two years. And I, I think one one of my most favorite teammates. We had a lot of good times, man, not just on the field, but off as well. But, you know, I loved your mentality. I loved how you took the ball all the time. And, you know, you just shoved it up everybody's ass all the time. But when did you start feeling it? When did you start realizing? I know Michael K said it over the TV. When did you start realizing, like, holy crap, man, I got I got a freaking perfect game here. It was right around the fourth or fifth, Nelly. I was like, because, you know, I just, I mean, I was, Dude, I was smoked. I was, you know, I was hung over like no other. I mean, just still drunk. I think I would have blown over the limit. I didn't get pulled over on the way to the park. And it was just like, you know, it wasn't on purpose. I just, just got caught up in the moment at Saturday Night Live with Jimmy Fallon, you know, and the guys there. And it just, it just escalated. And, but, you know, about the fifth inning, sixth inning, I started feeling human again. I really did. It was just like I got my second wind. And I was like, wow, that that's over. But I was sweating bullets because it was hot. And everyone knew I hated when it was hot. I didn't like the pitch because, you know, fat people sweat. <laughs> so. But don't you think don't you think that that's what got it out of you? You have to get the poison out of you and the sweat helps. Yeah, it does. But, you know, my jersey's like 
500 pounds, and, and I, I was very superstitious. I did not like to change my uniform at all. And I remember a game in the, And you never sweat. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> profusely, man. I, I brought it. But uh, I remember a game in, in Atlanta that I pitched in, in Knobloch, and I was I got a base hit, and then Knobloch comes up, and there's two outs. It's three and two, and Knobloch fouled off about eight pitches. And I got to run. Every one of those, I got to take off running. Man, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it was so hot in Atlanta. I got, I had Gino and Stevie had the ammonia bucket there. And they were just pouring it on me. And putting it in my face trying to breathe because I couldn't do it. But I didn't want to change my, my, my set. And I pitched one hell of a game. I threw a shutout there. It was like one of the best games I ever pitched. But it was just like, I felt like that during the perfect game. I was just, I mean, I was that, I was sweating that much. It was crazy. I'm curious, after the perfect game, were you either, were you able to compose yourself and drink more after the game to celebrate, or did you just like go home and nap? Oh, dude, we went after it until <laughs> yeah. about four o'clock the next night. Yeah. So Nelly, you were there, Nelly. I know, I remember. Yeah, we all went to, uh, we went to Dorian's and we yeah. were just tearing it up. And then we had to go to Mel Stoudemire's golf outing. His golf outing up in uh, Connecticut, yes, the next day because we had off. And then not knowing how bad the traffic was getting out there, and I go, if there's any day in my life that I'm not going to get a ticket, is today. And I made my own lane. I went on the median, and I just drove the median all the way up there. And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's like 100 cars following me. I made another lane. It was (laughs) great. We got there just in time, maybe a couple minutes late. Because I remember meeting my team on the second hole. And they already hit, and then I met him on the second hole, and it was a par five, and it was a dogleg right, and I took a five wood out of my bag, and I hit it about two inches from the cup, and tapped in eagle. I was just like, man, I got the stink on me, man. I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was awesome. What were some of your other superstitions, Boomer? I mean, you you said you didn't want to change your jersey, but what other ones did you have? You know, I, I had to spit on, like, the first, second, and third step in the dugout. So I always did that. And then like, even when I wasn't pitching, you know, we'd do seed. I'd have to throw a seed because we'd throw seeds, you know, and I'd have to stick on each uh, step. So I did that a lot. I, you know, like towels, like I still do it to this day, like with towel, when I get done with the shower, that the tag has to be on the bottom. So when I pick the towel up, the towel has, the tag has to be on the bottom. It's weird. I still have a few of those things, too. I never step on the line unless I got pissed off and I was taken out of the game and I kicked the hell out of that line. But I'd always jump over the line. You know, I always did my, my shirt and I got that from Dave Steve when I was in Toronto. So like my, I, my jersey, I'd pick the, each shoulder up and then grab my jock, my cup and adjust it there. So it looked like I was playing with my myself all the time <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah it was just you know was just those superstitions i had to always adjust because when you throw your cup moves a little bit so you want to replace it acting like i have some big junk down there you know so <laughs> yeah i was gonna go the other way but i you know that i wasn't i wasn't one of those guys that watch other ones in the shower so it was oh, baloney, man. <laughs> <laughs> you call them c-dubs yeah, look at the c-dub yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all know. Yeah, we've seen everyone in this show. We know what they look like. <laughs> That's funny. I always get a lot of people like, hey, how big Derek's junk? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't check this stuff out. Like, You're in the shower with him. I'm like, yeah, but I keep my head above the shower, man. I don't look down. <laughs> you know, don't pick up the soap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, Boomer, you're always, I mean, what impressed me is, a, and I loved, I loved the mentality because you were a guy that always went, 
against the grain. You, Coney, and all this. I think most successful guys went against the grain. I mean, and you had people that try to dial you back in, but that just wasn't the way you went about things. And you went and said, you know what? I'm going to pitch the way I pitch. I'm going to act the way I act. And I'm going to go eight innings all the time. And, you know, how did that come about? I mean, you were always one of those ones that said, you know what? Just, just let me pitch and just leave me alone. You know, and that started early in my career, like in the minor leagues. The Blue Jays, they, they, they just treated me like crap pretty much my whole career in the minor leagues going up. And then when I got into the big league, you know, Pat Gillick would just really just, I mean, he would just tell the trainers, bring up scale, weigh them. And they started fining me like $100 a day I was overweight. And I'm just like, dude, I'm 210 pounds, man. What do you want me to weigh? You know, they wanted me to be like 195 and stuff like that. They would just do stupid crap like that. But I remember like in the minor leagues, the trainer would, they would bring a scale and they would always weigh me every day. And it was like, they were more worried about my weight than me going out and pitching. So I just got really, it kind of, it pissed me off. So I, as I got to the big leagues and then you know, once I got after five years, you're a free agent. You know, they can't send you back down. You become a free agent. And then that's when I just said, you know what? I'm doing it my way. I mean, I don't care. I'm a grown man. Give me the ball. I know what I'm doing out there. You know, I've never wanted to come out of the game ever. And it's just like, so I just had that mentality is that, you know, you can't tell me anything. I don't already know. I've gone to mount. I know how to do my job. So just don't try to manage me. And But they would try to manage me off the field too. I'm like, do you want to win? Then leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's kind of, the, that's what I did. And, and, you know, Joe Torrey, he would just, he would always do that to me. He would always give me grief, but, you know, so did Pat Gillick, you know, and all those guys. So I just, I hated authority. I really did. And I went after Steinbrenner that one day in 97. I went after Steinbrenner when we were playing that interleague game against Montreal. And uh, Darren Fletcher hit a home run off me, and he barely made it up. And actually, Paul O'Neill was under it, and a fan reached over and caught it. And so O'Neill's going off on the umpire, and that was like in the third inning. So when I came out, I think after the eighth inning, Steinbrenner was in the, cl in the clubhouse talking to Nick Fiore and right in front of my locker. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, George, man, you got to do something about that fence out there. You got to put a higher fence so they can't interfere. And, you know, in the year before, that's when Jeffrey Mayer did that in 96 in the playoffs. So George is like, he goes, you ain't the pitcher I signed. I said, excuse me? He goes, you ain't the pitcher I signed. I said, well, if you don't like the way I pitch, why don't you trade me? He goes, I tried to. Nobody wants you. Well, that pissed me off. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, I, so I got in George's face, and I, I just I started calling him every name in the book. And he goes, he gets in my, and he's in my face as well. And he goes, I'm not afraid of you. I said, I'll tell you what, old man. I said, I'm going to go put some ice on, and if I come back out here and you're still here, I said, I'm going to beat the I said, that's just how it is. That's, that's how it's going to be. He goes, I'm not afraid of you. I go, we'll see. Sure enough, I went in there and, and Stevie put ice on my, my shoulder, elbow and, and my back. And I came out there and there was George sitting there and he looked at me and I started ripping off that ice and his eyes got bigger than the moon. And he tore and I chased it. He tore and he ran out of there. He tore off running. and I chased him. I told go back up in your sweet god damn it watch the game i was all over him and then like a couple days later i went into the clubhouse and joe torrey's phone was ringing outside of his office i picked it up and i go yankee stadium second base he goes who is this i go you called me who is this and i knew it was george 
He goes, this is George, goddammit. I say, hey, George, how you doing, buddy? It's Boomer. I go, hey, I, I want to apologize for the other day. I said, I was out of line, and, and that should have never happened. And he goes, you stay right there. And he came down. We went to Joe's office, and we talked it out, and he gave me a big old hug and kiss on the cheek, and we were good ever since. But he was that way, wasn't he? You know, he was... I always thought that he was a guy that always tested players because New York was so hard to play and as far as media and the fans. And if you crawled into a hole, he knew you wouldn't be able to make it. He was You weren't going to make it in New York. But if you did stand up for yourself and maybe not give it to the way you did, but at least you know stand up for yourself and say, don't worry about it. Let me go out and do my job. He respected that. No, he did. and then But he just wanted you to own up to everything he wanted you to be a man and go out there hey be and be accountable and and that that to me is awesome that just shows that that owner cares about you because they you know he always did first class for us we always had first class everything we did but you know he just wanted and he would challenge you sometimes but you know he did it in some ways to certain guys you know a lot of people were afraid of him and that's that's the way i took it now i just like you know what hey there's other teams out there if they don't like me i'll go to another team but to me it's like i'm not going to let anybody talk down on me like that because I'm a grown man. If you got a problem, pull me in the office and talk it out and we'll do it that way. But I think that, you know, people were so frightened of George because he was so powerful. I mean, you can hear the walkie-talkies when he came in. When he drove into the parking lot, it'd be, the eagle has landed. The eagle <laughs> yeah. has landed. And you can hear on all the, all the walkie-talkies throughout the stadium. And, and people were like walking on eggshells around him. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to treat him like a human being, like I treat everybody else. And it, it was great. Boomer, I got to ask you about this because it was such a cool thing for myself as a fan when you were on the team. When you bought that Babe Ruth hat, and, and I know they weren't going to let you wear it during a game, but you did. That was one of the coolest things I've ever seen on a baseball field when you did that. Can you just take us through that story and how that came about? Yeah, I, I bought it from a buddy of mine, Mark Jordan. And Mark Jordan had the uh, off, he had one of the offices out in center field at uh, Arlington Stadium, the new stadium. And so, and I bought a lot of my memorabilia through Mark Jordan. So he's like, hey, Dave, I got this Babe Ruth hat. I go, how much? And he's like, they want 35 grand for it. I said, tell them I'll give them 25 grand for it. And they said, nope, we want 35 or or forget it. And I'm like, shoot. So I'm like, all right. So I bought it. And everyone thought I was crazy buying that hat. You know, and I think the media even gave me some grief about it when they caught wind of it. And it was just like, okay, whatever. No big deal. And I go, I'm going to wear this some bitch out there. <laughs> and, and, and Joe, Joe got wind of that. And Joe comes up to me and he goes, he goes, Boomer, you're not wearing that hat. I go, oh, yeah, I am. He goes, no, you're not. And I go, why, Joe? I said, if anybody would appreciate it, it would be you. Because he's such a historian and a huge Yankee fan as well. And, and I'm like, I'm like, Joe, what's the big deal? And he goes, it's not required uniform. I'm like, dude, it's got NY on it. Who cares? It looks just like an old crusty hat that, you know, certain guys, we all had crusty hats. We didn't want to get rid of them. We wore them through thick and thin. You know, those were our, you know, that was our, our uniform. And a lot of guys were superstitious. They didn't want to change their hat. So he's like, no, you ain't wearing it. I said, I'm going to wear it. And then I remember warming up one game against Cleveland. And, and I warmed up. And when I walked through the dugout, he was looking at my hat <laughs> when I walked by him. And so I went up into, my, into the locker room. And I put the Babe Ruth hat on. And I walked. I went ran down the tunnel. And I stayed at the bottom. And Jeter and, and, and Jorge were at the top of the stairs right there. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, hey, 
Jeet looks down and I'm like, go run out there. He's like, what? I'm like, run out there. Because when you run out of the field, the music starts and we get going. And so they took off running and I hauled ass out and got on the mound and Joe was pissed. He was staring at me the whole time. And, <laughs> and, and I, I got out and after the first inning, I got out of it and, and he comes in, he goes, take the hat off. He goes, he goes, and I'm going to find you too. I said, I said, I said, you're and I, I, I think I called him. A I'm like, that's brutal. So I took the hat off, put it back in my locker. And I don't think I got out of the third inning. <laughs> it was like it was like he jinxed me, and, and that was the first time Cleveland's beat me in a long time. So he calls me in the office afterwards. He goes twenty five hundred bucks. I go, that's all. I'm like, well, I said you're shallow. You're just you're shallow. So the next day I went and got a bunch of fives, ones, fives, and tens, and I threw it at him in his office. And money went flying. I was like, go buy some rooms for your car. And then he never talked to me pretty much the rest of the year. I didn't like Joe as a manager. He was like, you know, he he did stuff to me that shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done to anybody but it's like but you know, we all knew he treated certain guys different ways and so but it was all right we didn't care if he talked to us or not but you know joe and i are friends now i respect him and you know it's just the playing days because you don't want nobody telling you you know what you can and can't do that's just how we were we were grown men well that's why you were 33 right because you were a huge ruth fan and you couldn't have three so you went three three yeah, well, you know what's funny is in the press conference when I signed, I asked for number three. I said, hey, can you give me number three? <laughs> and then everyone's mouth just dropped. And I'm like, uh, and I'm, like oh, I'm just kidding. But Foxy uh, was uh, number 12, and, and he, after, 97, or after 96, he left. And so Charlie Hayes took 12, and Charlie Hayes had 33. So so Charlie gave it to me, which was great. You know, that's when you know I started wearing 33 because of that, because of Babe Ruth twice. I'm Babe Ruth twice. <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't love Joe, but you did love Nelly. Do you have any good Nelly stories from the two years that you played with him? Yeah, but I can't say on. Oh, I was gonna say, I'm like, here we go. <laughs> oh, those are the best kinds. <laughs> I know, but no, it was. It hey, I'm was not the, married yeah. anymore, so it doesn't matter. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you still got to work. You still work the team. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I won't. I won't do it. But I, I there was one story. It's my favorite story, Nelly, and I did not tell it on podcasts or anything. Only around our buddies. We had great times, man. You were one of my favorites, man. Always. Oh, ditto. But but we always went out. It was me, Nelly, Graham. Graham. You know, Tony. Tony, when Chili was there, Chili came out with us. Yeah, so we had a we had a tight little group, and then we'd we all meet up with everyone else. Yeah, I mean, the, there the wasn't Latin a night that we didn't go out. Soho and Charlie Hayes and Reigns and yeah, when we went into a city and we got in early, we all went to dinner as a team. I mean, we literally all went out, and then we when the, the Bible thumpers went one way and scumbags went the other way, and then. <laughs> <laughs> And then well, we, we probably just, had uh, 23 scumbags. So yeah, the 25. <laughs> we did. We did. That, that we did. And then in September when Shane Spencer came in, oh, all hell broke loose with Shane. But that was a cool thing. We, we were loose. We, we all partied our asses off every night. We went literally went out every night. And no, no matter where we did, we'd get our sleep in and we'd go run, sweat it out, do all that stuff. But, you know, that's how we won because we never had any animosity in the clubhouse. And, and if it did, we freaking was nipped in the butt real quick, but we all had each other's back. That was the good thing about it because when you got the Twin Towers coming out of the bullpen, swinging, throwing haymakers at everybody, <laughs> you know, that was the thing because what I loved about it was when we had that fight with Baltimore and here comes Nelly and, and, uh, and Graham. I was, was like, this is great. <laughs> I watched that, and they just—they didn't. 
They didn't care who was in front of them at that time. You better get the hell out of the way because they were smoking you. Pram Lloyd came in swinging that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a dead Well, sprint. him and Nelly. Yeah, that was a I dead sprint. I would not want to get in front of those two. Yeah, dead sprint <laughs> and haymakers from both of them. But forget Mayweather versus Paul. Can we get Jeff Nelson versus Armando Benitez in the ring? Uh, UFC <laughs> fight night. <laughs> that would be awesome. Nelly would, work, Nelly would work him, man. Nelly would jack him up. Because Nelly would know how to step back when he, and he would just, and, and Armando would probably just wear himself out. Nelly would just, he would just crush him. <laughs> Before we let you go, we, we have to mention your perfect 33 foundation golf outing, October 8th and 9th in San Diego. Uh, anything you want to plug to go along with the dates there? Oh, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, I have, this will be my, my sixth year of, of my foundation, which I, uh, all the money I raise, it's for our Navy SEALs and military guys for traumatic brain injury. So I, I take care of all their treatments so they don't have to, you know, they don't, they don't drop a dime out of their pocket and, you know, and, and it's great. So we have, you know, love all the guys in San Diego, Trevor Hoffman is my neighbor, is my neighbor, was my neighbor, you know, so I got so many guys out there, but now I'm starting to get more and more of the, of the team guys active and, and retired. And, you know, so we just go out there, we have a blast. You can go to uh, perfect33foundation.org and, uh, you know, if you want to donate, if you want to sign up and come out and have, you know, a couple great nights out there. The casino, Sequan Casino and Resort is off the chart. They just built a brand new hotel out there. And so we just have fun. You want to gamble or whatever, but I have music. I, we do all sorts of stuff. And, it's, and Nelly's invited this great time, time, right? Nelly's invited? Nelly is invited this time. Oh, Definitely. thank you. I just no. But I'll find I mean, my own way. I want to play. No, the sinners, no, the Nelly. I would fly out. I'd have to. That's, I don't. I don't play that. If I'm going to bring you out, because you know what I should do, I should start bringing you know more of the of the '98 guys out to the to the event. You know, but I got to bring the scumbag ones out because I can't bring yes. the nice guys out because everybody likes to hang with a scumbag. No thumpers. We no no thumpers allowed. The scumbags will be in San Diego. <laughs> there will be no thumpers. There will be no thumpers unless you're on the court. That sounds like a Netflix special. Scumbags <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> no thumpers, but on Sunday we can repent because on Sunday what I do for the celebrities is I put I put like twenty grand up for the celebrities and we have a skins game. But you get strokes because there's like Gagne and guys like that that come in that are scratch golfers. They're going to win all the money. So we we put strokes in there because I get Jeff and our and Jared uh, uh, Weaver. They come down from from L.A. I get a bunch of the guys there up there, so they come down and you know Josh Beckett comes in, Brad Penny. So, you know, these are, they're already out there. So they always attend. So, which is great. So we can repent on Sunday and then get after it after we, we have our little prayer in the morning. And you get the stars out. Cause I went to your event a couple of years ago and Fallon was there. Pete Davidson was there. Lauren Michaels yeah. was there. So the A-listers come out for David Wells for sure. Well, they do. It was great. Cause it was a 20 year anniversary of the perfect game. And then Lauren, Lauren's like a dad to me. I love him to death. And actually he just called me last week. He's like, David, I'm going to Maine. <laughs> He goes, I'll send a plane down for you, and you and Nina can come up. I'm like, Lauren, out of any day, any week, and this is the absolute worst weekend to invite me to come hang out with you. Because I haven't seen him in a while, and he just he was so gracious to me all the time. I'd have all the guys on the team freaking calling me, hey, Wellesie, can you get me in Saturday Night Live? And Nelly called me a lot for that, too, because when he'd go into New York, hey, Boomer, hey, hook me up with Saturday Night Live, and he'd always get in, but it was great. So the first Lauren, time I went is when I saw you, and, and that's when I met Lauren. Yeah. 
so we, you know, so we got to, so Lauren took care of the Yankees. He was great. So, you know, so that, that's a good thing about it. But it's just nice to have, you know, you throw a perfect game. Everybody likes you. So you get everybody into places, which is great. But I didn't give two about it. I just go in there and, and bully my way. Say, hey, man, me and the boys are coming. They go, oh, okay, okay, no problem. So if you had an NY with pinstripe on it, yeah, pretty much carte blanche in New York. It was awesome. Boomer, we can't thank you enough for the time. Tremendous, tremendous interview and, and a great foundation. What you're doing for the Navy SEALs is is so great. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks Nelly. Love you, buddy. That says goodnight to episode 61, the Chan Ho Park edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and, of course, Brian Mungia for producing the show. Please dive into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating, write in a positive review. We do appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We are back on Thursday after the first two games of the Yankees series against the Blue Jays in Buffalo. Enjoy the games. And thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>